found in Micah chapter 4, and we'll be reading the entire chapter. Micah 4. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of mountains, and it shall be lifted up above the hills, and the people shall flow to it. And many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between many peoples, and shall decide for, for strong nations far away. And they, shall be beat, and, they, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. But they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken, for the peoples, for all the peoples walk each in the name of their God, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. In that day, declares the Lord, I will assemble the lame and gather those who have been driven away and those whom I have afflicted. In the lame, I will make the covenant, the remnant, and those who were cast off a strong nation. And the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion for, from this time forth and forevermore. And you, O tower of the flock, hill of the daughter of Zion, to you shall it come. The former dominion shall come, kingship for the daughter of Jerusalem. Now why do you cry aloud? Is there no king in you? Has your counselor perished? That pain seized you like a woman in labor? Writhe and groan, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in labor. For now you shall go out from the city and dwell in the open country. You shall go to Babylon. There you shall be rescued. There the Lord will redeem you from the hand of your enemies. Now many nations are assembled against you, saying, Let her be defiled, and let our eyes gaze upon Zion. But they do not know the thoughts of the Lord. They do not understand his plan, that he has gathered them as sheaves for the threshing floor. Arise and thresh, O daughter of Zion, for I will make, you a horn, make your horn iron, and I will make your hooves brawn. And you shall beat into pieces many peoples, and shall devote their grain to the Lord, their wealth to the Lord of the whole earth. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. If you're visiting with us this morning, we are just so thankful that you are here. We're jumping right back into Micah, where we have been since the middle of March. And I hope all of our members remembered where we were for just two weeks ago. My, Micah is a minor prophet, not because his message was minor, but because his book is a mere seven chapters compared to the close to 60 of the major prophets. And Micah's structure unfolds in three different oracles. His first oracle, which consisted of chapters 1 through 2, were pronouncements of judgment, both on the northern and southern kingdom. God's people had sinned against their God, and he will not let their sin go unpunished. He will not let their sin go unanswered. But then, if you remember, at the very end of chapter 2, in just the last two verses, the Lord of Israel gives them a promise. He gives them a hope for the future. 
And he promises that he will not leave his people, nor will he forsake his people. He will not leave them in their sins, but he promises to redeem them. Because he is a God abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And he will remember his covenant forever. And he promises his people that in those days, in that time that will come to pass, they will be led to salvation through a shepherd king. God promises that he will save a remnant to himself. And that the shepherd king will lead them into salvation if they follow him by faith. The second oracle begins in chapter 3. And much like the first oracle, begins with a chapter of judgment. Sin must be dealt with. Yet unlike the first oracle, the promised hope is two full chapters. God reminds his people, yet again, your, your sins deserve judgment. Yet I will promise you salvation through unmerited grace and love. It's as if God, in speaking judgment, can't even contain himself to speak of salvation that he offers his people. Yet how many times when we hear of God's judgment, we often recoil. We might say to ourselves, if God truly loved me, would he really, truly punish me? If God truly made me this way, why wouldn't he just celebrate who I am now? But what we see in the framework of which Micah is prophesying is God is speaking to Israel because Israel is his true son. This is what he calls them back in Exodus chapter 4. Israel is my firstborn son. When God promises judgment, when he promises chastisement, he's promising to correct and discipline his son because he loves his son, not because he hates them. This is God as a loving father preventing his children from hurting themselves. Micah in the entire Old Testament doesn't reveal to us an angry God who loses his temper and flies off the handle. We find a loving father who will do anything to protect his children even from themselves. Because if we let our children dictate who they are, guess what? They will kill themselves. It's like speaking to a child, don't put your hand in the fire or you'll get burned. And what does that child do? Puts their hand in the fire and they get burned. But God does not leave them there. He rushes to them and promises to heal them, promises to protect them, promises to give them everything they need to do as a flourishing people. He has built a fence around them to keep them from harm. This is what the law does. And yet his children continually, continually jump over the fence saying what you have prescribed for us doesn't lead to life and happiness. It actually leads to death. And what they find on the other side is exactly what they were looking for, life but death. 
they not only jump the fence, they are plowing through the fence of God's protection. And if you remember, three weeks ago, we were in Micah chapter 3. And in verses 9 through 12, God told them about this city that they were trying to build. And this is what he says in Micah 3, verse 9. Hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel, who detest justice and make crooked all that is straight, who built Zion with blood and Jerusalem with iniquity. Its heads give judgment for a bribe. Its priests teach for a price. Its prophets practice divination for money. Yet they lean on the Lord and say, you know, this is leaning on the Lord and saying, Is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster shall come upon us. Therefore, because of you, Zion shall be plowed as a field. Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins, and the mountain of the house a wooden height. God has no choice but to destroy this city that his people are trying to build for themselves. He has no choice but then to tear it down. But look at the contrast. Look at the contrast between this city that his people are trying to build compared to what God builds for them. He will extract them from the city where they find themselves Not because he hates them, but because he loves them. And because he loves them, he will build a new city, a better city, and he will bring them back home. And what we're going to see is that some of God's people will find themselves on the outside of the fence, cast off in judgment, but they will want to stay there. But God will save unto himself a remnant. Those who believe, those who will return, he will save. Not because anything that they have done, but because of his great love for them. They are those who will hear the Father calling them and will follow. They are those who will hear the law of the Lord And will repent of their sins. For this is the power of God for salvation. It's for anyone who believes. God coming and offering unmerited salvation to people who deserve anything but. They deserve the exact opposite. They deserve what their actions and their hearts have led them to. Excommunication from God. Separation. They deserve death. But listen to this promise of the loving Father. In Micah 4, verses 1 through 4. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of mountains, and it shall be lifted up above the hills, and the peoples shall flow to it. These verses, verses 1 through 4, speak of a future, of what God will do for his people. This passage actually chronologically begins in the end and then ends where they are. Why would Micah do that? Why would Micah begin this oracle of hope with the end and then end where it began? Well, if you don't know, this is why we celebrated Easter. 
It's because of the glorious people, of the glorious future that God promises people to sustain them that they're able to make it through their current reality. Mike is giving them, in their bleak, grim circumstances, a foretaste of what God will do for his people. He will tear down their city that they built on bloodshed and injustice. He will tear it down brick by brick. He will plow it. It will not be a city. But then he will bring them back. And he will build his city. A city for flourishing. A city of justice and truth built on grace and mercy. Think, just imagine what this city would look like. Who wouldn't want to live there? It's a city that God desires his people to live in. A city built upon his good law. A city where God rules. He will raise it above the other mountains. He will raise it, if you remember, in chapters 1 and 2, higher than the high places where everyone else worshipped their gods. It will be a city ruled by God and people will forsake their gods because they will see the might and the power and the salvation of Yahweh who has saved his people. They're going to leave everything behind and come and live in this city of God. The nations will come to this city. Not just God's people. It's the nations. And typically, we think of nations. We think, oh yeah, those people who live really, really far away from me. The people that I won't ever know, I might never come into contact with. But for this context, nations were Israel's next door neighbors. They were the nations that were trying to take over them. They tried to take their land. Who tried to demolish their kingdom. These nations were actually Israel's enemies. And look what differentiates these nations. In verse 5. For all the peoples walk, each in the name of its God. But we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever. It's these neighbors. These worshipers who worshipped anything and everything but Yahweh. It is these people that God in the latter days will build his city for. Micah looked into the future with this vision that God gave him and he saw this event where God would resurrect a new city and call all peoples to come and to worship him. And if you were in Sunday school this morning, John Wilson did a perfect job teaching this of what we see as the already and not yet. These promises have been fulfilled in Christ right now. We can get a glimpse of what this city looks like right now, but not fully or completely. 
Jesus, when he came to earth, brought forth the kingdom of God. He began to heal people. He came preaching. He came bringing forth his kingdom. And it is here, by the power of the Spirit, that the latter days have arrived now in small glimpses, in small pictures. And we as his people are called, invited, to join in building this city. The city of God's love, where people flourish when they live according to the Spirit. Where people flourish because they understand the redeeming power of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, think about this. Think about what our city can look like if we lived this way. Children, this, this is for you. Some of you want to become doctors, some nurses, some teachers. Maybe you want to be a cowboy. Maybe you want to be a princess. I think they're all and teach me to worship. But if you still have those hopes, whether you want to be a baseball player, basketball player, think if this is the type of city you live to cultivate in your life forever. A city based on forgiveness. A city based upon the character of Yahweh who has redeemed you. Students, whether you want to be an engineer or a doctor or a banker or in sales or mechanics or lawyers or real estate agents or veterinarians or stay-at-home parents, think about being a citizen of this type of city wherever you go. Because God has invited you through Jesus Christ to help build this type of city. Who wouldn't want to live there? A city that our neighbors can witness. They can actually see with their own eyes the love of God in Jesus. And they will forsake their quote-unquote gods and come and worship Jesus. Think if this was the type of conversations we were having. Imagine if this is the vision that we had during board meetings. Imagine if this is the type of vision of building this type of city we had when we read the word to our children at night and sang with them. We are cultivating a vision for building God's city through the Spirit where all nations can come and worship the one true God. And they will forsake their gods. Whether it's a god of stone or marble or they've created a shrine, or more it's like more of a god that we've created for ourselves today, a god of materialism. That new car, new boat, that little bit more money, a little bit more leisure, less distractions, less discomfort. If something is keeping you away from building this city, forsake it and repent of it. Here's a practical example. If Netflix is keeping you inside every day, all day, from being in the city and bringing forth God's promises, forsake it 
It is keeping you from living out what God is doing through his spirit in building his city to redeem the world. Imagine this kingdom coming now through the work of the spirit. Imagine if our children became mayors or governors or senators or representatives and tried to cultivate this type of city here now. Being mission-minded in everything. Christ-exalted. Kingdom-oriented. Because here's the promise. Here's the promise. God will do it. It's whether or not we want to follow him by faith and take part of this kingdom. This kingdom that looks way better than Eden looked because it has Christ at its center. This city where there's no reason for tools of war anymore because there's forgiveness and peace and trust between brothers and sisters because they will have everything in common in the Lord. Tools that we once would use for war will be turned into tools that produce life and flourishing. This is the type of city that God is building through the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the type of city that Paul spoke of in Ephesians 2, that through Christ he is building a new man, reconciled to God, preaching peace to those who are far off and preaching peace to those who are near, to the Jew first and then to the Greek Both have access to the city by faith. Both are welcomed citizens of the city. Both are family members of this house that God is building on Christ. We are being built together as a temple where the Spirit of God dwells and lives inside of us. We can foretaste that now. In that day, Micah says, actually, in that day, declares the Lord through Micah, I will assemble the lame and gather those who have been driven away and those whom I have afflicted. And the lame I will make the remnant and those who are cast off a strong nation. And the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion for this time forth and forevermore. Through the lame. Just as Jesus came healing the lame, those who could do nothing for themselves, Jesus can use us. God isn't using the right type of person. He isn't seeking certain qualifications. He's using nothing that the world would use to build its kingdom. He's using sinners like us. He uses what the world sees as weak to bring salvation through his power. And he will reign forevermore. 
We can see this right now, but only in small pieces, in fragments. Because of our own sin, and because of the sin of the world. Why might you think Micah starts with the future? Brothers and sisters, this is our hope in the resurrection. The same hope that they had is our hope. But glory be to God that we are living now and we can foretaste that kingdom of righteousness and goodness. Because here's the truth. This is the truth of what's going to happen to them in verses 9 through 13. They're going to writhe and groan in the pains of childbirth. His people will be cast out into exile because of their sins. But here is his promise. He will redeem them from their sins. Brothers and sisters, this isn't future for us. This is past. Because of Jesus, he was cast out so that you will never be cast out. He was forsaken because you can be brought in. We are his nation, his city, his people, because when we were enemies, Christ died for us. We were the nations. And we responded to the gospel by faith. He sought us out when we plowed through the fence and thought we were going to get somewhere. This is the same type of reality that Peter was facing when he wrote his first letter to the exiles. who because of their faith were scattered all over the Roman Empire. Think of what this message would mean to them. Now many nations are assembled against you, saying, Let her be defiled, and let our eyes gaze upon Zion. But they do not know the thoughts of the Lord. They do not understand his plan, that he has gathered them as sheaves for the threshing floor. He will use his enemies who only seek destruction, who only seek, seek to break down the kingdom of God, to make all of our efforts worthless, he will use them to bring forth his redemptive purposes. Look at this reversal. He says that they will be sheaves for the threshing floor, but then he tells his people, Arise and thresh, O daughter of Zion. I will make your horn iron and I will make your hooves bronze. Our enemy will not prevail because of Jesus. He's already won. This is the type of city that he is inviting us to be a part of, to lay claim to, to pray for, to talk about, to cultivate in our children and their thoughts and their career paths. This is God's city. This is upon what God will build Zion, this perfect, holy city. Do you want to be a part of this city? 
Do you want to live in a city that looks like this? Come to Jesus. This is the city where Jesus reigns. Without money, come and buy. Do you want to be a part of the remnant? Remnant? Believe in Jesus and you will be saved. You have full access as sons and daughters of the living Christ. Follow him by faith. Do you want to be citizens of this type of city? Bow the knee to Jesus. And nothing else. He invites you by grace to enter into salvation right now. And he is coming. He is coming soon. And when he returns, he will build his city and his kingdom shall have no end. We will not be burned. We will not be consumed by the fire. We will not be afraid. Because our kingdom, for our king is coming and his kingdom will be on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray. Father, give us hope for the kingdom, for the glory of Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. If you'll please stand and turn in your Trinity hymnals to page 846 as we confess the Nicene Creed. Trinity hymnal, page 846. Church, what do you believe? We believe in one God, the Father. You may be seated. <clears throat>